1: Blog Talk Radio Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Dr. Sean Michael Greener.
2: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, from all around the world. Today's show, The Collision of Faith and Politics, is dedicated to Major Samuel Mark Griffith. Ironically, he shares my initials. United States Marine Corps Reserve killed in action in Afghanistan this day in 2011. God bless this warrior patriot and his sweet family who I've met. This man showed the way and is now, because of his powerful faith in the living God, in the presence of perfection and holiness. Please join me in praying for and comforting this incredible Gold Star family. Please join me in reverence, remembering, Major Samuel Mark Griffith. God bless you, and God bless all of our Gold Star families. On today's Collision of Faith and Politics with the Ninja Pastor today, we you're really super lucky, folks. Some people have all the luck and my audience is the lucky one today. Our special guest, very, very special guest, Amazon best selling author, renowned speaker and well respected Patriot Pastor Carl Gallups will be on the collision of faith and politics with the Ninja Pastor today. Uh Pastor Carl Gallups is a best selling author, senior pastor since nineteen eighty seven talk show. Uh, he has a, a radio uh radio show, a talk radio show, and it's heard nationally and internationally. He's a frequent TV and radio guest. He's a commentator. He's a former decorated Florida law enforcement officer, founder of PNN, P.P. Simmons, News and Ministry Network, a member of the Board of Regents at the University of Mobile in Mobile, Alabama. Pastor Galps just released his new and excellent book, Be Thou Prepared, Equipping the Church for Persecution in Times of Trouble. I actually quoted that book last week, and I'm excited to have the pastor on with us today in just a little bit, as you might survive Uh, Surmise Pastor Carl Gallops and the Ninja Pastor have an awful lot in common. Look, you know trouble is coming. Let's be honest. You guys, my audience, almost 600,000 of you now, you not only know trouble is coming, you know trouble is here. But what should the Christian and Jew and believer do to respond to Islamic violence and to social unrest in the homeland. What does Scripture say to do? That's why you're here today. Tell your friends. As long as you're not driving, tell your friends. As we begin our fourth week in our series on preparing as a Christian for what's coming, look, I want to reflect on the undeniable fact that as we started this series, you remember, we were reeling from the ISIS attacks in Paris. And there was a lot of people that were fearful that ISIS would come here and, and uh, Islam would come here and attempt the same thing that they did in France, here being the United States. I apologize. I have a an international audience, and sometimes I forget that. Thank you to our growing French audience. We had, uh, let's see, 13 the first week. 41 the second week, 46 the third week, and who knows how many we'll have this week. But it's awful cool to have you listening. Look, you you have all heard me say it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When it will happen here. You know what? The, the, this accelerated time frame, it's not coincidence. But rather it's part of the plan of the Islamic Jihad being waged against the West. As I said on today's show, I'll have a guest, internationally known pastor, best-selling author, really riveting writer, truth be told, Carl Gallups. He has a similar message. I don't know how I haven't met this guy. I spent a lot of time in Florida on my book tour, and uh, I I wish I would have had the chance to meet him. He's authored this new book, Be Thou Prepared, Equipping the Church for Persecution in Times of Trouble. And this is precisely the intent of my, my series. Both my Sunday message series and, and my Monday series. Chance favors the prepared, as my buddy Steve in Ohio says. Here's something I say. Equipping means preparing, and preparing means action. Hey, listen, I want to take a second to uh, remember my dear friend. Uh, tomorrow, surgery is a go. Chris kahalen in Minneapolis, not Minneapolis, he doesn't live in Minneapolis, but in Minnesota, uh, he's having the Whipple procedure done. He has pancreas cancer, and this is this is a this is a huge thing, and I'm super excited for him. Man, I wish I could afford to go, uh, and and you know be with his family during the surgery and after. I pray this removes all cancer from his body, and that after a, a, just an absolutely miraculous recovery, this soldier of God, Chris Cahalan, will have the opportunity to tell all who will listen, just how powerful the healer is. I also want to pray for my friend Eric, uh, childhood friend, since since kindergarten, my good friend Eric. Uh, he, we, we're praying that his cancer is in remission so that he can receive a life-saving kidney transplant. I love you, brother. We also pray with all those who are struggling with illness. We have listeners of this show and people who come to our Kehalau on Sunday. If you're in the, the uh, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania New Jersey area, feel free to come down. We'll feed you at 5 o'clock, 5.30. We go live here. After we finish uh, at, at uh, 6.30, uh, we close out the broadcast at 6.30. Then we have a crazy question and answer period. Our Q&A is very vibrant. And then uh, and then after that, we have music, great music with Steve and uh, violin music, and, and we sing. Uh, I'll tell you the truth. We sing kind of old hymns, and it's fun. It's fun. It's uh takes me back, but we sing them really in a powerful way. Really really it's it's kind of cool. And then we have uh Throne Shaking Prayer. Look, God cares about it all. God can change it all. Uh I'm I'm I am not one of those people that that feels like um and as a pastor, you know, I'm I know that there's a lot of pressure to preach hope to preach the fluffy stuff. I, I know that. And I and I respect that, quite frankly. I do. I really, really do. But you know what? There's more to the story. The whole gospel, the full gospel, that's what I preach. On today's show I'm gonna undo the pacifist mantra of the leftist pastors who from their pulpits are pretending to be conservative Christians. And if you were in this or uh you know, there was a pastor in the North Atlantic region yesterday. Who uh, in one of his three services, unfortunately, it was the one that wasn't recorded for uh, broadcast. Uh, he he said that you don't need the Christians don't need to go out and buy guns. You don't need to fear, and gun won't help you anyway. I think maybe at this point he's probably misunderstood. He probably was a little bit um, inarticulate in his words, but words matter. You know, I stumble on myself too. We have an audience of over six hundred thousand, and uh, you know sometimes I say the wrong thing. It probably, uh, I say the wrong thing a lot of times. You know, anybody that listens knows that. But here's the thing, and this is important. I, you know, sometimes I say stuff that's important. This is one of the important things. Pastors, you need to understand. You need to understand. that the Black Robe Regiment helped found the freedom in this country. And I firmly believe the Black Robe Regiment, the preachers from all across pulpits in the United States of America, will save this country by grasping firmly to God's hand and God's word. But look, if you were one of those Christians that was in a congregation yesterday where your pastor was talking about fluffy stuff and uh, not believing, oh, man. I can't believe Philly Bob sent me a picture. You know, he does this almost every week. What is that? Some kind of stew. And it looks really good. Everything this man makes, I've eaten a bunch of his food. Everything he makes, good lands. Uh, just really, really, now, now I'm hungry again.
1: I had a sweet potato to try to ward off the hunger. And here he is contributing to the delinquency of a
2: miner. Actually I'm not a minor. I might be delinquent, but I'm no minor. So anyway, this show today is uh is your rebuttal. Look, this is your rebuttal from scripture. Instead of how uh liberal preachers feel or, or uh misinformed I, I think they like to think that they're that they're hardcore preachers. Because they'll wear hip trendy and cool affliction t shirts or something else while they preach, you know. That oh I'm trendy. Well, it takes a little bit more than that to be, I think, relevant, per se. But, you know, who am I? I'm just a ninja pastor, don't know better. Look, I said for quite some time, and listen, if you've been listening for uh, years to me, you've heard me speak all across the country, if you want to have me come to hear you speak, or come to hear you speak, I'm fly me there so I can hear you talk. Now, if you want to, if you want to have me come to where uh, you are, your organization, I do conferences. I do. Um, I'm a conference speaker, seminar speaker. I do uh, keynote speaking, commencement addresses, things like that. And and uh, I'd be happy to come talk to your group. TheNinjaPastor.com. That's how you find me. The contact me page, and our people will get a hold of you. And we'll we'll work it all out. But look, if you've been listening for a long time, several years ago, I did a book tour for my book, Excellence Killed the Church: How Mediocrity Is Destroying America. And when I did that book tour, I traveled all over the country, and I can tell you this, that if you were listening to me then, I was telling you, even pre-9-11, I was telling you, as it pertains to the Islamic terrorist attack, it is when, not if. So to help answer that concern, as we've done over the last few Mondays, we're going to have this list, uh, Bearing Arms helped with some of this. I kind of fiddled deed with it. Took a little artistic license, as it were. Ten things, top ten things you can avoid... To do to avoid becoming a casualty in the war on terror. Do you remember last week? You guys remember what I said? Number one, face reality and realize it'll happen here. Look, this isn't a paranoid statement. You need to understand that. Don't let the left tell you that that, hey, you're being scary talker. You're just being a a negative Nelly scary talker. You're just you're just you're not a love speaker there's no hope and change in changing what you're saying look here's here's a simple unpleasant fact and this is based on intelligence gathering expert opinion common sense at some point it's we're going to have another attack and then another attack and they're going to pick schools, shopping malls and it's going to be like paris it's going to be like in the bataclan where you know armed people just you know whip out uh without uh, uh, guns that they didn't buy legally and they're going to shoot the place up and of course you know CNN will jump on and say I think it sounds like a I think it sh- sounds like a white supremacist NRA member who hates the government you know and they're going to shoot up some other mass gathering some sporting event christmas is coming don't think it and look don't think it's only going to happen in Chicago or New York or some big city because they'll go to small I told you last week they'll go to Mississippi they don't care Or as the folks from Mississippi say, Mississippi. Or go to a shopping mall in some small town where all the kids are gathered on a Friday night. They don't care. They don't care. Islam does not care about your boo-boo feelings. They don't care. Hey, what about them going to a clinic for the uh, developmentally disabled people? During a Christmas party with the people maybe they've allegedly been friends with for years. How about there? How about the maybe going somewhere where some folks getting together celebrating Christ's birth? Oh, and those are the same people that had a baby shower for you, bought all your baby stuff, the one you abandoned while you went out and carried carried out your jihad. They don't have conscience, and you need to stop anticipating. You need to stop with this whole business about. Remember, I said a couple weeks ago, I, I said this plain. I thought I said it plainly and clearly, but maybe I didn't. I spent two weeks on situational awareness mental preparedness why because it's at times like that that you uh if you hold back listen if you if well let let's let's do a good example look at what happened with the uh what was it the neighbor the neighbor was interviewed And what do you say i uh i didn't want to be um uh, no, he didn't talk like that. He wasn't Southern. Because if it was Southern person, the Southern person would have said, "Listen here, I called the police twelve times, and they ain't listen. I don't know why, but they ain't listen." No, let me just say this to you, uh, and you need to understand this. You need, you just need to understand this. We need to stop holding back because we're afraid of being called a racist, a bigot, warmonger. We need to stop it. We need to be done with it. So here's number two. Remember I said this last week, too. I added something to it, though. Always carry a concealed firearm and extra ammunition and magazines where legal. If you carry a revolver, carry some speed loaders. You guys have heard this. Remember last week I talked about Luke 11:21,22, 22, especially in the complete Jewish Bible, which is one of the translations I use. When a strong man who is fully equipped for battle guards his own house, his possessions are secure. But when someone stronger attacks and defeats him, he carries off all the armor and the weaponry on which the man was depending, and he divides up the spoils. Those who are not with me are against me, and who those who do not gather with me are scattering. Hey, let me ask you something real quick. I asked my audience last night. Folks, folks on the instant message thing on the clearinghouse are calling me a racist and bigot. My feelings are really hurt. Dang it. They're hurt now. I don't even know. I'm not sure if I can go on. Let me pause. How do you suppose Yeshua made the money changer scatter? Did he do it gently? Did he do it lovingly? Did he give sweet, soft words? Did he yell stop or I'll yell stop louder? Or did he go to war with them? Did he do some scattering of his own? Look, I, I said it last week. I said it last night. Carrying a firearm is a lifestyle habit. You don't say, look, man, things are uh, things are things are kind of hinky right now. I, I'm feeling I'm feeling a little nervous right now. I I don't know why, but I'm a little nervous. So I'm going to carry my gun. I don't normally, but I'm going to carry my I feel like something's going to happen. It's it's a lifestyle habit, folks. It is a lifestyle habit. Thank you by the way for joining us in chat. Chat's wide open. We we had some folks just call in. I'm not I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not going to take any callers. Uh probably won't take any callers unless the guests that we have coming on Want to take callers, but I doubt it. We're gonna have a, we're what, it's going to be coming at you high speed. So, folks are calling me a lot of names on these uh, message boards. I don't know why they listen if they if they think I'm all these bad names. I'm calling you bad names, and that's going to straighten you right up. But look, you can't uh, you know all the names racist bigot Nazi blah blah blah. This is the time for action. You've got to step aside and let lions do what lions do without concerns of the sheep. That's from my buddy Steve in Ohio. Excuse me one second while I sneeze. All of you with a collective God bless you. Now, see that? I said that and it went away. Dad gummit. You ever hear that before, dad gummit? <laughs> I told you I'm country. I've been to most major cities in the world, but I'm country. Look, I, I'm saying to you, and this is why I say Second Call Defense, go to the TheNinjaPastor.com. Go to the TheNinjaPastor.com and click on the Second Call Defense link. You'll get a free month. Uh, you just click on that. It'll explain it to you. Uh, folks, I, I'm going to tell you right now. I am just going to tell you right now. I won't be ever be without it. Second Call Defense. If you own a gun or you're thinking about getting a gun, and certainly if you're a concealed carry person, you got better get up all over all over, having a gun, and having that protection. Second call defense. I I have their their top of the line, and I won't be without it. But let me say this. Oh, you know what CNN thinks. It's it's based. You know what I said earlier about the disenfranchised white guy. He's an NRA member. He's going to go into the Planned Parenthood clinic. He's going to shoot up your super super peaceful Muslim mosque. Attack all the innocent peaceful loving people there. You know, the CNN and the liberal left, MSNBC and all those, they say that happens all the time. But you're not going to guess the time and the place. So always be, always gain comfort and skill at arms. Be trained. Concealed carry permit holders, it happens all the time, folks. All the times. A.W.R. Hawkins did a great, uh, uh, talks about a concealed carry permit holder stopping an attempted mass shooting in Chicago. Took a guy down. The guy ended up being a uh, illegal alien. Everardo Custodio began firing in the crowd. Just went nuts and started firing into the crowd. And uh, this Uber driver who had a concealed carry permit had his gun, shot him in the shin, thigh, and lower back. No, no one other than Custodio was injured. It's a Philly barbershop. Those of you who were at my uh, attended the Kahala on Sunday or listened in to, we lost everybody at 36 minutes. I am not sure what happened. We use a, uh, we use a, uh, I have a little card, not a card, but it's a mobile broadband thing type of thing, and it's supposed to, but it, it's sketchy. I don't know if it was that or if it was a blog talk radio thing. I don't know what it was, but I apologize to all of you. At uh, 36 minutes, we just went dark. We don't know why. So in Philly, a 40 year old man was just firing at patrons inside a barbershop. And the only thing that stopped him was a concealed carry permit holder who heard gunfire. He was outside. He ran into the shop, shot the shooter in the chest, and killed him instantly. Nobody else was harmed. You get this, right? Look, now is not the time to cower in fear. Americans, you can't cower in fear. You cannot be intimidated by liberal ideology. You can't keep apologizing for one of America's longest-standing constitutional rights, the right to bear arms. This is a growing chorus that's saying this. They're religious leaders. They're law enforcement people. They're political leaders. A lot of sheriffs. Arm up. A lot of sheriffs all across the country. A lot across the country. You know, it's... I don't know. It's... uh, It's one of those things that is frustrating because, well, I'll just say it. I'll just say it. Our guest coming on in just a few minutes, uh, he'll know this to be true. But, you know, police officers, the, the Supreme Court has upheld that they don't have a mandate to save your life or your property. They don't. They have no duty to protect you. There's no mandate. There's no law that says they have to do it. You understand that, right? Who understands that? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? So that being said, knowing what we know, you've got, you. look, let me just spell it out for you. They're not coming to help you. They're going to set up a perimeter because that's what they do now. God bless them. They set up a perimeter. And they got all their fancy, you know, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and all that leftovers that they buy. And people get mad about it because they say the police are turning into some sort of, um, well, they call it a police state. That's what they like to do. And, And here's the fact of the matter is it keeps law enforcement officers, to the extent possible, it keeps them alive. So what I'm saying to you is, yeah, okay, they're coming. But when seconds count, they'll be there in minutes. You see what I'm saying here? You get my just look, I and I'm a former police officer and I can just tell you I'm as pro police as they come. But I'm just gonna tell you right here and right now that Americans you need to be your own first responder. You need to be your first responder. Is that settling in? Oh, roasted pepper soup. Here's the word, roasted pepper soup. Oh, uh, so my uh, my buddy Philly Bob and Millie, they uh, they they did a rally, and uh, an ISIS is here rally, and um, up in Pennsylvania, and they they really are are patriots, and they had a lady come by and said that they made her sick, the protesters made her sick and spit at her while driving by because we're standing for our country and and for Syrian immigration, really. It, you know, and that's just the funny thing. It, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, folks. You better be your own first responder. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. You better be your own first responder. So sheriffs now all across the country, they're they are catching on. Not just Sheriff Joe Opaio from Arizona. He's saying all of his 250,000 armed citizens, hey, go ahead. Go ahead on and get yourself a gun and learn how to shoot. Because when somebody pulls out a gun, ISIS comes, and they start doing this mess, concealed carry people are going to handle their business. And you know you hear all about this from the left, right? They say, no, this is the reason why you don't do this, because there'll be collateral damage. Good guy pulls a gun on a bad guy, and then there's collateral damage. So we should just let everybody get all shot up. Is that what you're telling me? That's that's what we should do? We should just let everybody get, uh, get, get shot up. Just let them get shot up. Welcome, all y'all, in chat. Thank you for joining us. Because you know what? Over and over and over again, over and over and over again, we've heard so many people and over and over, hey, we don't want a bunch of people carrying guns because you know what we don't want? We don't want a bunch of shooting. We don't want a bunch of people freaking out. So what is it you want, leftist? What is it that you want? Oh, wait, I know the answer. They want your guns, just like they did in Nazi Germany, just like they did in the Soviet Union. They take your guns, they take your faith, and then they take your life, folks. You, you've heard the mantra of of the left, the gun and freedom hating left, the uninformed right. Because there's people on the right that are against guns. They, oh, I, I don't think people in and then there's a lot of Christians that cite this. Well, this is the reason why I don't want to trust God. We just pray. We're just praying, you know. God said, just pray. Everybody's singing Kumbaya, group hug. You know, ISIS loves it. Islam loves it when you do the group hug and sing Kumbaya because the necks are closer together. them off. They can blow you up. And for the people think, why would they do that? I don't understand why they would do that because you know they're going to die, right? Do they understand that when you strap a bomb to your chest, right, and you detonate the bomb to your chest and you do that, you know what's going to happen? Dummy, you're going to die. No, who's the dummy? They know they're going to die. They live to die. It's a culture of death. They don't care about you. They don't care about your your sad story. They don't care. They don't care. They revel in it. The left says, hey, you know, there's going to be a bunch of gunfights in the street over parking disputes. Somebody has the wrong shirt color. Whoa, you know what that's going to happen. That white racist NRA, they're going to have color of their skin fights. You know, you're the wrong color. See, that's what they keep telling you you're all about. But you know what, gun people, that's not what you're about. And we know that's not what you're about. You know, uh, Pastor Carl Gallup's a day of reckoning has arrived. That's a quote. The ninja pastor and Pastor Carl gallups you know, he served 10 years as a Florida police officer Before becoming a Baptist pastor and a talk radio host, he's authored the new book, Be Thou Prepared. I'm reading the book now. I bought it on Kindle. Um, By the way, as an author, a published author, I can tell you, I hate hearing somebody bought something on Kindle. Look, if you're not going to buy it, the paperback or the hardback, yeah, buy it on Kindle. Uh, You know, if if that keeps you from buying it, but oh, man, they beat you to death with that Kindle. You make almost no money on it. But Be Thou Prepared, Equipping the Church for Persecution in Times of Trouble. In that book, he admonishes Christians to take a fresh biblical look at the issues of guns and self-defense. Pastor Gallops, how are you, sir? I'm doing great,
0: Sean. Thank you so much for having me on your program.
2: Oh, man, it's going to be fun. I, I'm, I have been looking forward to this ever since I started reading some of your stuff, and I thought, man, I must have a twin somewhere, and his name must be Carl Gallops. <laughs> you
0: know, and after reading some of your stuff, I think I would agree with you.
2: <laughs> we would, we would both have fun and get in a lot of trouble if we were in the same place.
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe so. And you know what the the shame of it is, is Sean, is that, uh, you know, I, I've been preaching now. I've been the pastor of one church for 29 years. I've been preaching a little over 30 years. Like you said, I worked with two different sheriff's offices and in Florida law enforcement for 10 years. But you know. Um, The stuff I'm preaching is just straight out of the Word of God. It's contextually sound. It's fundamental. It's foundational. And and just preaching the whole Word and teaching the whole Word in context. And, you know, 30 years ago, I would have been considered kind of an average run-of-the-mill preacher. Now I'm considered some kind of radical. That's how far down the rabbit hole we've gone in America.
2: Isn't that funny? And I've said something very similar um, I was asked to speak at an organization, and there was, I don't know, a couple thousand people there. And they, and they introduced me as the ultra controversial yeah. ninja pastor. And I thought to myself, yeah. and, and in fact, I modified my speech. I said, you know, uh, I was introduced as being ultra, uh, uh, a uh, ultra controversial, but you know, then the gospel must be controversial. The the gospel must be over the top for you. Or consider this. Just kind of like what you just said. We've gone so far down the rabbit hole that we no longer understand. We no longer recognize truth when it's put in front of us. So you were a yep. former police officer. Tell me about that. By the way, our listeners are saying that um, a little bit, uh, the volume is a little bit powerful and you're breaking up a little bit. Um, I don't know that there's anything. I've tried to modulate that here, but I've, I've adjusted it as much as I have. So I don't know uh, if you have a volume switch there, but that might help. But tell me about being a police officer. It's interesting because people say to me um, a lot of times, you know, well, you were a police officer and anti-terrorism expert and all this stuff. What in the world? How in the world did you become a police or how, you, how in the world did you become a pastor? So you were a pastor for, what, 10 years down in Florida?
0: Yeah, no, 29 years. How's the volume now? I've adjusted it a little bit. It's
2: a little bit better. We're crackling up a little bit, but it just might be what it is, and we'll be all right. We can hear you, though. So you were a okay. pastor for 29 years, and then, and then you've been a pastor of the same church for over 30 years?
0: Yeah, no, I've been a pastor for 29 years in one church, but wow. I've been in ministry now for a little over 30 years. I, I ministered, I was an associate pastor in another church uh, before this. Uh, but prior to that, I was in Florida law enforcement for uh, 10, 11 years, a little over 10 years, at, at most of those years in two different sheriff's offices in Florida as a deputy sheriff. And uh, in one of those sheriff's offices did a lot of my own investigations as well. So have some investigative experience, uh, a lot of patrol, uh, uniformed officer, sworn officer experience, also, worked for a couple of years in the administrative level of the Florida Department of Corrections Central Office in the prison system. So, everything from patrol officer to investigations to administrative experience to uh, Florida State Corrections uh, crammed in that 11 years there. And, uh, yeah, yeah, but, but, you know, it's a long story, but I'll make it very short. The bottom line is I was serving the Lord uh, very uh, committedly. For most of those years, but um, as those years were drawing to a a close, God was just really dealing in my life about a call to full-time ministry. and, And I ran from it for a couple of years because I was very happy in my field of law enforcement. All of my college was that way, all of my special training and all the special training schools that I went to. Uh, was directed towards a career in law enforcement, and uh, but I finally, you know, succumbed to the call uh, that the Lord had put on my heart for ministry, and have been there ever since. And and I and I praise God for what He's doing in my life. It's been an amazing ride.
2: Oh, that's awesome. You know, most pastors um, they wouldn't be a pastor of the same church for that number of years. I mean, that's a, that is a, in this day and age, that's a rarity. What do you attribute you know- to that to?
0: You know, Sean... (laughs) It really is a rarity. Um, I'm a Southern Baptist pastor. Of course, you know, I I leave the denominationalism out of it. I'm I'm a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, born-again Christian is the bottom line and and with a calling on my life to be a pastor. But I happen to be in the Southern Baptist denomination. And in the Southern Baptist denomination, the average tenure of a pastor is about three and a half, four years. So 29 years in one place is extremely rare. Uh, I don't know. It's just like a good marriage, Sean. You know, I... I was in the pulpit last Sunday and absolutely thoroughly Thrilled to be there, and the people seem to be thoroughly thrilled that I was there, and we had a great service of worship. People are, you know, are, are responding to our ministry and to the gospel, and, and when I say our ministry, I mean the ministry of the church that I pastor, and we're at, we're making a difference all over the world, literally a profound difference for the kingdom, and it's just a good marriage. You know, it just clicks. When something clicks, it's easy to stay together. And uh, I have not been a perfect pastor, and they haven't been a perfect. Church, but we've grown together, and we love each other, and we we keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's ex- exalting the name of Jesus Christ and standing squarely on the contextual Word of God, and and God is honoring.
2: I like that you uh, you add that the contextual Word of God. So much of what's happening today in America, um, I attribute to uh, mealy mouth, uh, wimpy pastors who stand in the, um, I still remember, the, and this was down in Ocala, Florida, I remember we were in a pizza place, and I had just done an appearance, and uh, I happened to have a copy of my book there uh, in my briefcase, we were having some pizza, and a, and a well-known pastor, I won't say who he was, well-known pastor walked in, and he was with another pastor, and, and I, I think their wives, and, and I, I knew his name, so I signed the book, and I went and put it over on his table, and I said, you know, uh, listen, thank you so much for what you've done for so many years for the cause of Christ and and I just wanted to honor you with a book. And oh that's nice. Thank you. Thank you. He holds up the book and of course the title of my book is Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity Is Destroying America. And he and he holds it up and he kinda throws it kind of back at me and says, I don't need this book. Oh and my took it back. God. And I said oh my know, God. I said, you know what? Here is the thing. Um you need to understand that this book is either about you or it's for you. Yeah. And yeah. this book is about you. So uh, you yeah. know, he didn't he didn't care to uh look into it and see what was behind the title, but but you know what, Th- and and this reminds me part of you have a World Net Daily article that talks about part of the battles being able to recognize propaganda in the media. And there you know, yeah. they always they always are talking about the availability of the guns it caused Um, gun violence, and pastors are notoriously, um, I I know a few that are pro-gun, I know a few that understand guns, I know a few that have maybe hunted, or, uh, you know, uh, maybe they had some exposure to guns, some positive exposure to guns, but most pastors I find all across the country, they really don't understand uh, about the, the whole notion, the whole idea of protecting oneself. And I, and I travel around the country and talk about. In fact, I'm going to use your book as a resource. Uh, your your new book is is just be thou prepared, equipping the church for persecution in times of trouble. Uh, folks, you can get that on Amazon. You can get that over at the pastor's website. If you go to our Facebook page, the link is right there. If you go to the Ninja dot com, the most recent uh, the most recent post there has a link. You click on that link, boom. Uh, and it'll and, you know, take you right there to the pastor's website. You need to get this book. And so when I travel around the country and I talk uh, about, pa- uh, the, you know, I talk to pastors and leaders of churches, explaining to them about church safety. Years ago, the churches would say, you know, um, I, we don't need that here. That This is just something we've never had. And I remember, I remember, hang in there, folks. It says we're having some connection in Uh it, I'm not sure. Try to log out and log back in. Um, it, this always frustrates me with Blog Talk Radio. They had they do have some connections this I have a super fast uh connection, but for whatever reason folks are dialed in and it just pops on and off. And anyway, um what I'm saying is is I'll talk to those pastors and they'll say, Well, I don't think you know I mean, security, why why would we need security? This is a church, this is a sanctuary, this is a place where we preach God's word. Well, And I explain to them and I give them the data on, um, uh, we'll just say violence that occurs within uh, the church walls and how that's been growing over the past uh, few decades. And now with ISIS, who do they want to kill? They want to kill Christians. Where are Christians gathered all in one place in a neat little package? And their mind isn't on protecting themselves, their families, or their pastor. Their mind is on praising God and worshiping and getting you know getting connected with god so they can make it through another week and and i'm here to tell you that that isis i don't have to tell you i'm sure but isis would love nothing more than to walk into a church and cause all kinds of mayhem not just isis but people who are Hopped up on psychotropic drugs. It seems like th- th- there's candy machines in doctors' offices nowadays. Oh, you don't feel good about something? Well, you don't need Jesus because Jesus isn't real. Let me give you this little blue pill. Let me give you this little purple or pink pill. And you take all these together, you won't need Jesus. There'll be no need. You just need these pills, and then they go shoot yep. up places. Yeah. So in your yep. in your uh, in your article, I I like how you highlighted the truth there, and that's um. It's a rarity nowadays. I do it, and like I said, I was at at that conference, and and thousands of people paid big money to hear me speak, and they're introducing me as some super controversial guy. I said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. The idea of protecting oneself is a biblical idea. This is scriptural. This is, you know, and and a lot of people will will cite the turn the other cheek thing. And in your book, you do a great job. Tell me your feelings on that, your feelings in general. Like, did you grow up? being uh, comfortable with guns, and uh, did you hunt, or what was what was the deal with your own experience?
0: Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, you've addressed about six different issues I'd like to address, so let me get right to them. <laughs> yeah, first of all, no, I did grow up comfortable with guns. I grew up in uh, northwest Florida, and in, in fact, I'm still in the northwest Florida area, but I'm four or five hours away from my original home site, but basically rural, a lot of hunting, and, uh, we had guns in our home and were taught how to use them at an early age. I did, I started hunting at an early age. And then, of course, went right into law enforcement at a very early age and spent 10, 11 years and, uh, in, in gun training. In fact, I even taught. Uh, firearms in the police academy for a couple of semesters uh, when I was thoroughly in the thick of law enforcement. So so that's always been a part of my life. To this day, I carry. I have a concealed weapons permit. I carry everywhere I go, 24-7, uh, even into the pulpit. Now, you know it's concealed, so the vast majority of the folks in my church, you know, don't even think about it. Most of them know I carry, and a lot of them do as well. Uh, but but nobody would know that I carry. I mean, I you're, you know you're not allowed by law to flaunt it or to show it. But the bottom line is I do carry, and it's like putting on a watch for me, or you know, putting a wallet in my pocket. So I'm extremely comfortable with all types of firearms. Now I know that many people or some people are not, and so I don't think. Carrying a firearm is a mark of one's manhood or womanhood or loyalty to Christ. But I do think that, you know, I do know that even our founding fathers understood. That, that was a sacred right, and it was enshrined in the Constitution, and that if we were going to live free and not enslaved, that some of us, at least, would have to be willing to defend ourselves and perhaps the others around us uh, if we're going to keep our freedoms. And so um, I uphold the Second Amendment, and I'm a strong supporter of it. I, I, I use the Second Amendment rights in my own life in carrying and defending myself, my family, my property, my home, my church. Uh, but, you know, I, I, that's the reason I wrote the book was just to help other people understand the biblical... biblical commands, not necessarily to carry a gun at all times, but biblical commands to be prepared, and part of that preparation is to be prepared to protect ourselves. I think of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt with arms and ready to fight wars and battles. I think of Nehemiah on the walls, uh, rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, telling his workers, you know, have a spear in one hand and a shovel in the other, uh, because there were enemies. They were terrorists that were out to destroy them and to destroy the work of God. I go all the way up to the garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus telling his disciples on the night before he would go to the cross, he said, look, if if you don't have one, you need to buy a sword. Times are going to get tough. And of course, a sword was the same thing as having a firearm on your side. It was a personal protection weapon. So, you know, I mean, Jesus didn't say for Christians to go out and buy firearms to overthrow the government or to walk around like we're some kind of cowboy or a police officer wannabe. He just said, look, you have a responsibility to protect those you love and those around you. So that's the way I look at it. My book, as you've read or as you're reading, it's very balanced. It's very biblical. There's nothing alarmist about it. It's just filled with the Word of God and perspective on real life. You know, you're talking about churches saying that, well, there's no need to defend ourselves. Well, this is what I say to churches. Really? Do you have insurance policies? Do you have fire escapes? Do you have fire extinguishers? Do you have exits clearly marked? Why do you do that? Why don't you just drop all of your insurance policies? Why don't you just get rid of all of your fire extinguishers? Why don't you take the locks off your doors? Why do you have locks on your doors? I mean, why don't you just let God protect you? You know, so people will say things uh they, they don't even realize what they're saying, Sean, trying to be politically correct. They'll put locks on their church doors. They'll put burglar bars on the windows in some cases. They'll put extinguishers everywhere. They'll buy heavy-duty insurance policies and then say, oh, we're not, we don't need any guns around here because we're just trusting God. And so, of course, the hypocrisy of that is not only unbiblical, but it just doesn't make sense.
2: Folks, we have Pastor Carl Gallup. He's a best-selling author, senior pastor since 1987, senior pastor of the same church. He's a talk radio host, heard nationally and internationally. He's a TV and radio guest commentator. You know, it's funny. We've been on some of the same shows. We, uh, I I wish I would have met you. I was on Atlanta Live, and um, I wish I'd have met you. I think we we're on right around the same time. Um, you're a guest, a radio guest commentator former uh, decorated Florida law enforcement officer. You founded something of PNN. Tell me, tell, what is that? That's a news and ministry network?
0: Yes, yes. It stands for the P.P. Simmons News and Ministry Network. It started off. This is amazing. uh, I just threw a couple of uh, me, myself, and a couple of other guys that wanted to remain anonymous back then. We didn't know much about uh, Internet and and all the social media stuff. YouTube was relatively new seven or eight years ago. And we just threw a couple of uh, videos up with some controversial but solidly biblical uh, teaching, And we made the videos as best we could back then. They were kind of of state-of-the-art back then. And they went viral. I mean, they went into the hundreds of thousands and then eventually millions of views. And we realized, wow, now this is a medium we can use to reach people uh, for the Lord. And then, of course, at the same time, there were all kinds of geopolitical controversial things going on seven or eight, nine years ago. So we started producing some videos about that and then tying it into uh, possible biblical principles and prophetic principles. Those went viral. So... Anyway, in the meantime, and we called it P.P. P. Simmons, and the P. it stood for Pastor Paul Simmons, and that was a pseudonym at the time. We were just using it as a way of getting some good stuff out there without worrying about uh, anybody honing in on us particularly. But as we saw it unfold into a real way to reach the world, it now has evolved into that mega viral YouTube site with sixty seventy thousand subscribers 60 seventy million views in just a few years uh, we've gone from that to seven or eight Facebook sites that get sixty to seventy thousand views a day uh, we've got a we've got a, a syndicated blog site uh, several websites dedicated and attached to it plus my radio show which airs over a uh, a radio station on the Gulf Coast that reaches four states by radio. It's the largest, it's the most powerful AM radio station on the Gulf Coast. And from there we podcast and we stream live over the Internet. So anyway, we're just reaching hundreds of thousands of people a day and and, and millions and millions a year. So we just changed it from P.P. Simmons is what it used to be called to P.N.N., which stands for the P.P. Simmons News and Ministry
2: Network i like it i like it one of the things you say is the foremost goal of my life is to advance the kingdom of christ this is best accomplished by contextually and accurately presenting the biblical gospel message of salvation and then equipping those who have been born again so that they may boldly stand in the word of god the body of christ is to be the salt and light we are never to grow weary of doing good we must always be ready to give the reason for hope we have in jesus christ my desire is to encourage believers To live in kingdom victory, regardless of what's happening in the world. Regardless of what's happening in the world around us, we have been placed here for such a time as this. Uh, I I appreciate that. That's kind of how I live my life and my ministry. I, like you, uh, really resisted the call to ministry. and, And boy, when God starts yelling to you, he starts whispering, hey, I want you to do this we better listen cuz when he starts raising his voice that's uh, things get painful and I, and I and I had to be yelled at in order to to do what he told me to do but I'm curious about you about backlash cuz I get a lot of death threats and a lot of men of course I carry 24/7 I've carried a gun professionally since 1983 and um we had the executive protection team and, and all those things and so this is kind of our our lifestyle but I've gotten a lot of backlash. I've, I've spoken out about a lot of the things. You're, you're very, of course, the name of this show is The Collision of Faith and Politics. Um, you're, you, you are deemed to be uh, politically incorrect. You take on all the taboos, homosexuality, not genetic gay marriage, the fake refugee crisis, and various um, Obama conspiracies. What kind of backlash have you experienced, and who is that usually from?
0: Yeah, well, you know what? Of course I received backlash, but, you know, God just built me differently, and He sounds like he built you differently, and here's what I say. Uh, People say, you know, how do you deal with the backlash? How do you deal with all the hate? And, you know, again, I was a cop for 10 years. I mean, I've been shot at. I've had people shoot at me. I've had to shoot at other people in the line of duty. Um, I mean, I've been in some harrowing, harrowing situations. I've put people in prison for life. Uh, I've run into people that I put into prison and then they got out years later. I've run into them in the street. Um, I, I've been dealing with threats and, and safety and security, uh, all of my young life from the beginning of my marriage. And so the bottom line is God just built me in such a way. I don't think I'm invincible. I don't think I'm Superman. I'm not arrogant about this, but here's the deal. I don't care, Sean. I mean, I I am a servant of the living God. I stand in his word. And I I do think that I am spiritually invincible until God's ready to call me home, kind of like the Apostle Paul. I mean, they tried killing him a hundred different times. And until God was ready for him, uh, the Lord protected him. And so, you know, I think as long as my head and my heart is right and I'm going where God's telling me to go and doing what he's telling me to do, um, I just don't worry about it. Of course Satan is going to hate me. Of course the world is going to hate me. Of course people who are lost are going to lash out and strike out at me. But over the years... Uh, Yes, I have had death threats in the ministry, probably as many in the ministry as I had when I was in law enforcement. Literally, death threats. Some of them had to actually be reported to the police. Uh, Just a few months ago, we had a restraining order put on a a, a woman who went on the Internet and then uh, came into my area where I minister and started delivering letters about uh, her desire to kill me. So, you know, but I just... Kind of smile, turn it over to the Lord, do whatever I have to do legally, and just keep going. And I don't have security entourages around me. I don't worry. Uh, And wring my hands every day I just trust in the Lord Arm myself Keep my head on a swivel And go about life I love life I I don't walk around You know uh, um, uh, Fretting about everything The word of God tells us not to do that Um, I'm I'm a pastor And I don't try to play cop I don't think I'm a cowboy Don't think I'm Superman I just get out here and live life And I really don't care what the naysayers say Does that make sense
2: Sean? Well, it does, and you said it more articulately than I do. I get asked that question all the time, and and once I uh, learned of you, uh, I said, man, I, I can't wait to ask him that, because people ask ask me all the time, and, and I tell them, look, like, I'm not an idiot. I've been around. I've been all over the world, been to 54 countries and filled a bunch of passports. We've been in the worst, most dangerous situations a human being can imagine, and you know what? It's not that I'm a Superman. It's not that I'm invincible or that bullets can't penetrate me because they can, I know for for a fact, I just know that God's called me to do something and I'm not going to live in fear. What in the world is the point of buying a life insurance policy and then continuing to fret on, man, oh man, what's going to happen to my family if something happens to me? And I believe I place my faith in God, not uh, a great God, but the great God. I place my faith in the Redeemer, not a Redeemer, but the Redeemer. And what have yeah. I to fear? What can man do to me? We're told we're going to be hated. And and I, I talk about this in my book. Um, you know, look, it, if your church, if your church, if sometimes folks from the outside don't uh, hate you, b- both as your church and individually, sometimes they don't hate you, then you have to take a good hard look at what you're saying and what you're doing. Uh, the The gospel sometimes is hard to take. It's hard to yeah. take and the truth. It's hard to take, and we speak it in love, but we speak it prepared. And uh, yeah. one of the things that you say, a quote from your website, I really, really like, is helping the thinker to believe, helping the believer to think. And as you know, some folks believe uh, that believing; they think believing is difficult. I have a saying that hesitant faith is no faith at all. Some also think believing is the only requirement for salvation. Some believe that. It is next to impossible for someone educated as a thinker in today's society and, and, you know, in our polluted educational system to become a believer. Some folks say, look, there's no way you could go through that system and still become a believer you know, we know what happens, and I talk about this in, in my book. And um, Folks, I'm talking to Pastor Carl Gallops. He wrote, Be Thou Prepared, Equipping the Church for Persecution in Times of Trouble. You need to get this book. I'm telling you, it is power-packed, and it is straight to the point. And, and and everybody out there, folks, you need to get this book. And I'll tell you what you should do. Christmas is coming up. Here would be a great thing. Buy Excellence Kill the Church. How mediocrity is destroying America and by Be Thou Prepared, equipping the church for persecution in times of trouble, and give that book, give those two books to your pastors. Get get two get one copy each for each of your pastors and give it to your pastors. I'm telling you, it'll it'll transform the thinking of from your pulpit. So in today's society, the the educational system has just been so polluted by uh, mediocrity. It's been so polluted by the leftist agenda that it really is part of our modern problem. We smart ourselves out of a relationship with God, and meanwhile, science just keeps on validating God's Word. How do you combat that? How do you combat the educational system today and really starting at kindergarten on up?
0: We, yeah, well, thank you. Well, here's the thing. You know, Again, you've asked a mouthful of questions there. Wow, that's a great question. Uh, I have dedicated my life to educated and in, to educate and inform uh, people, especially the people of God, I mean, I start there first now, of course i 'm always reaching out you know to the lost and, and and leading them to Christ. but I have a great big heart for discipleship as well because just because you 're saved and sitting in a pew doesn 't mean you get all of the truth by osmosis. I mean you have to know the word, you have to study the word, you have to be able to put the word in its context and so you know about a hundred years ago, Sean. We devastated, when I say we, I mean, you know, the the power movers, the the, the, the powers that be. We devastated uh, the foundation of America when we instituted the teaching of evolution in our schools. And we began to teach our children that there is no God and we are nothing more than a cosmic accident and a, the process of a chemical sludge pond, a chemical soup, and that uh, we're nothing more than souped-up gorillas. And for generations now, we've been teaching our children that. So why should there be any wonder that we now have an abortion holocaust of 55, 60 million little babies we've ripped out of the wombs of their mothers because now that we know, you know, we teach our generations of children that, look, there's no God, there's no eternal consequences. We're nothing more than an animal anyway. I mean, why should we be surprised that one part of our population now has STDs? Why should we be surprised that our Supreme Court just Said that we don't really know what a marriage is anymore. It can be two men, it can be two women, it can be whatever whatever and whoever and you love, you know. And I mean we we can go on and on with the travesties of the destruction of our foundation and a lot of it can be traced right back to the fundamental evil that was introduced. It's like the spirit of nakash, that Hebrew word that, that that's used for serpent, that whispering lie that came into the garden. Did God really say and we introduced that into our culture uh, about 100 years ago. Now we've raised several generations of people upon it. And like Romans chapter 1 says, professing to be wise, we have become fools. So now if people are going to hear truth, I mean real truth, for example, a man and a woman for life is a marriage. A baby in a womb is sacred and is honored by God. Uh, sexuality was God's idea. He sets the rules. If you don't follow his rules, you, your body, and your culture will be eaten up with disease. I mean, I can go down the list. As long as we're going to, uh, uh, if, if, if we're going to get that kind of truth into the hearts and minds of, of God's people nowadays, I promise you, it won't come from Hollywood. The days of Leave it to Beaver are over. It won't come from the entertainment industry, it won't come from the movies, it won't come from the media, it won't come from government, and it won't come from the school system anymore. And and in many cases, it won't come from homes, and in many cases, Sean, it won't come from the pulpit. So you you and I are calling upon America's pastors, those that claim to be conservative, evangelical, born-again believers, you better stand on the Word, you better stand unashamedly, you better preach the whole Word in its context to your people, teach them from children on, or you are going to be held accountable before the Lord at the destruction of all of it.
2: Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, here.
2: Yeah.
0: Go ahead.
2: Go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to hold you up. No,
0: I, thought, I, I was finished. You said the gospel. And I was just going to say absolutely the whole counsel of God's word. And uh, mm-hmm. you're you're absolutely right. And I'm sorry. We have a little delay, so I
2: didn't mean to talk over you. No. 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 No worries. No worries. Um, what do you think? Now, I know that this is something that I talk about a lot, and it sounds like uh, we are we are uh, on the same page, most assuredly. Uh my good buddy Jerry from Pennsylvania, one of the things he, he this is a great quote His liberalism is a double minded mental illness full of anger, fear, and self centeredness. Now we we uh the conservative uh Christians are often portrayed as bigots, as racists. Um uh, we are are often portrayed as gun nuts, uncaring. Uh we just we just want to take from people uh, we we want to build on off of their backs and take for our own good. When in fact, uh, every every source of data, reliable data, shows that Christians are the most generous people on the planet. Even more so, if you compare uh, conservative and liberal, the comparison is is patently unfair because conservatives outgive liberals by almost forty four percent in every yeah, yeah. every category.
0: Well, let me speak about that from a macrocosm and a microcosm. Macrocosmically, think of the United States of America. Now, every time you poll in the United States, even now, even in this secularized, you know, post-Christian society, if you will, when you take a poll in the streets, even today... 73, 74% of Americans identify themselves as Christians. Now, Sean, you and I know that doesn't mean that 74% of Americans are born-again Bible-believing, spirit-loving, Jesus-attending Christians, uh, excuse me, uh, church-attending Christians. But but what it does mean is that the vast majority of America says when they're asked, well, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Hindu, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not an atheist, I, you know, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, uh, I, I'm a Christian. Okay, So we are not only the largest Christian nation because of that on the planet, we are the largest Christian nation the planet has ever seen in 2,000 years of history since the time of Jesus Christ. It so happens that on this macro scale, We are also the most benevolent the world has ever seen. Now, do we have have we had evils? Do we have evils? Uh, Are are we completely stupid and sinful as a nation? Of course, because the whole world is fallen. But when you take America out, let's say America just disappeared tomorrow, just just left everything that's good about America just left. No more freedom. No more benevolence. No more uh, hunger relief. No more military aid and relief to nations that are being overrun by terrorism. America just disappeared. Well, what do you have left? I mean, look at the world. Look, you, what do you want? Russia running the world? You want China running the world? You want ISIS running the world? What, what do you have left? So, the the point I'm making, I'm I'm agreeing with you that yeah, look at look at that truth on the macro scale. The largest Christian nation in the world happens to be the most benevolent nation in the world. Now look at on, on the micro scale. Come down to individual churches and individual Christians. Look at the amount of missions activity that comes from our nation out of evangelical churches. Look at the amount of hunger relief. Look at the amount of disaster relief. Look at the amount of trauma relief and ministry that goes around the world from individual Christians and churches just from the United States of America alone. So you're right. I mean, look, this is how Satan has operated from the beginning. He takes something and turns it completely around and declares that to be the truth and when the liberals say you know we've got it all together that you know Christians and conservatives they're just a bunch of nuts and and they're trying to you know abuse people etc well a dictionary definition of liberal, liberalism and literally in webster's dictionary i'm going to have to paraphrase because i don't have it in front of me but i but i use this a lot in helping people to understand a part of the dictionary definition of li, of liberalism is living a life without boundaries or rules or regulations well Good gracious that is that, that, that's absolute absurdity and can lead literally to mental illness. Conservatism, on the other hand, recognizes not only boundaries, rules, and regulations, but most of us, of course, recognize a a supreme boundary and rule and regulation. That is, we recognize God's word and his boundaries around our sexuality, for example, uh, around what a marriage is, for example, uh, around the sanctity of life, for example. And so that's where I'm going to stand. I'm not going to to even drift over into liberalism. I'm going to stand within the confines of the word of God. I come from a biblical worldview, world and I'm unashamed to say so. So I hope that helps your listeners kind of understand the difference there.
2: Amen. Amen. I appreciate that direct answer. Um, You know, the president was on, Hussein Obama was on television today uh, again, uh, and he was uh, doing another press conference where this time he, instead of just being on there uh, and and reassuring us, of course I'm going to protect you, of course. But, you know, Islam's not the problem. This is just a... You know, this is a, a freakish thing. This is a little setback, like you said, in France. Uh, the, you know, the the, the the French attack, the Paris attack, was just a setback. And we've got this. We're fine. But you know what? I told you it was going to be a long war. and Or not a long war, but a, just a long struggle. And, and you know, we. but listen, what we really don't want you to do is we don't want you to attack Muslims. And if you do, you know, Loretta Lynch comes on a day after and says, look, if you do this, if you say anything bad about Muslims, my goodness, we're going to come after you. Yeah. Uh, comes on today, and he has a bunch of military brass behind him. Of course, none of them look like they want to be there because they probably don't. And he and he and he says almost the same thing that he said twice before, uh, and we know because you know if, if you if you got any sort of um, life education, if you pay any attention to what's happening around the world. You realize that, uh, wow, man! You know, instead of instead of helping the American citizenry, the good people of the American, the, the, the shore, the sea, the shining sea. Instead of instead of encouraging them to gain comfort and skill at arms, they're trying to strip us. The liberals and the left are trying to strip us. The president and all of his minions are trying to strip us of our fundal, fundamental right to protect our homes, and lives, and our families. And you know right after i mean the bodies weren't even cold in france and liberals in america were saying see see that's what that that's what you need we need stricter gun control that's the problem over there in france even though in france the gun control is ridiculous it's draconian it's 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 the, some of the worst gun control in the world uh they, yeah. their laws are ridiculous Um uh, but then but then when the san bernardino shooting happens they they knew within four minutes, we know this for a fact now, the, the police and the media knew within four minutes that it was two Muslims that did the did the attack and they knew the name of one of them. Uh they are crying for gun control. We gotta have gun control. See that? If we we could have prevented this. And you were quoted recently in a WorldNet Daily article that, that you said it all boils down to living a balanced Christian life. We live In a much different world than we did just a decade ago, believers don't need to wring their hands or get ridiculous about making preparations, but they should definitely be prepared. Tough times have come to the world, and tougher times than most living Americans have ever seen are coming to our own shores. Those who are prepared to live, defend, and protect will also be the ones prepared to share the love with Jesus, with the the love of Jesus, with the lost world around them, and that is the main reason the people of God are here in the first place. I love that you said that because, and I I specifically asked you about uh, liberalism and the generosity, you know, liberals are always trying to take people's money through taxation, through confiscation, when in fact uh, uh, conservatives and Christians are the most generous people on the planet. And then we are the ones that share the love and and the love of God, the providence of God, the love of jesus the love the the protection uh that He provided to us through the cross and and yet we're portrayed as Christians as being unbalanced, we're portrayed as being um, just kind of kind of wing nuts, and you're right, we do live in a much different world than we did just a decade ago, and I talk all the time people I get asked this question whenever I do a seminar or i I'm called somewhere to preach. And the q and A, I I always try to have a Q&A. And in the Q&A, they say, look, you're a counterterrorism expert. What should I do? How should I prepare? And I say, look, first thing I say is it's funny that you said it. Don't get ridiculous. You know, don't wring your hands. Don't don't get scared. I mean, be a little bit uh, apprehensive. And, and if that motivates you to take action, then do something to do something. Then let's do it. Uh, then be a little scared if that gets you off of X. But. But don't sit there and wring your hands. Don't get ridiculous. Don't think, "Oh, I don't have 500 gallons of water, so I'm not prepared." Uh, you know, do something a little bit at a time. And then when you talk about tough times have come to the world, tougher times than most living Americans have ever seen. Last week I did a show. Uh, you know, it's December 7th, and I did a show, uh, the date that will live in infamy. And I said, you know, the, the greatest generation in the world, they were different people than we are. They were just different. Yeah. I mean, look, they they had seen really tough times. And, and you know what? They they believed, they understood, hey, you know what? Our best days are ahead of us, potentially. If we guard these days properly, if we prepare for tomorrow properly, then if we're prepared to live, defend, and protect, then we'll have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus. But if we don't, you know what? We won't. Um, right. I, I really... Want to ask you, and I know that you, I, I'm, and folks know I've had lots and lots of authors on here, but I plug your book more than any other, just because I'm telling you this is a book for today, folks. You need, be thou prepared, equipping the church for persecution in times of trouble. I want to ask you something you talk about in your book. What about, and and you, and I, when I say it to you, you'll probably laugh. What about the question? I'm sure you always get asked whenever you're interviewed. I always get asked whenever I'm interviewed. What about the whole turn the other cheek thing? What about that? I mean, aren't yep. we supposed to just love people and show them the love of God and, and, and just show them Jesus, and they'll turn? And if they don't, and they if they want to kill me, then maybe that'll show them in my mar- being martyred, that'll show them the love of Jesus. And if that's what I have to do, then that's what I've been called to do.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, and there's two different issues there: turn the other cheek, and then martyrdom. And I would love to address them both. Uh, first of all, turn the other cheek. Of course, that comes from a direct quote of Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. And as you read that entire passage and everything that came before it and after it, what you realize, and 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 I tell people all the time, there are three important principles to interpreting Scripture: context, context, and context. You get it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and so when you look at what Jesus said in context, it has nothing to do with personal self-defense when somebody's trying to crush and destroy your life or those that you love around you and or those that you might be biblically responsible for protecting, like your own family and children, for example. It has nothing to do with that. He's talking about the day-to-day context of life. And listen, I practice that, Sean. You practice that. You and I go out here every day. We live our life. We're decent and kind to people. We share the gospel. We advance the kingdom. We we say kind things to people. I, I love, uh, you know, saying to folks, hey, God bless you. Hey, Merry Christmas. Have a Jesus-filled day. Things like that. Okay, so in the midst of that, from time to time, we're going to be ridiculed or slandered or you know cussed at or you know something like that and and that's what turn the other cheek means that's the context it means in day-to-day life we just we don't get aggressive we don't attack we don't go on the offensive uh we 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 simply don't strike back you know we just say look well okay god bless you and turn and leave jesus said to his own disciples he said look if you get rejected just shake the dust off your feet and keep moving that that's the same principle and it, and it just means go the extra mile. In fact, he said that. You know, If, if you're asked to carry the cloak one mile, uh, carry it an extra mile. And of course, that goes under Roman law, and the Roman officers could actually conscript somebody on the side of the road to help carry their equipment. And, and he said, look, He's saying in your in your day-to-day life, go the extra mile to show the love of Christ to people, to show that extra measure of kindness, to show them that the kingdom of God advances not by aggression but by kindness, and that's what turn the other cheek means. It's as simple as that. There's nothing profound there about uh, that, that's difficult to understand, and there's no direct command for us when somebody walks up to us and our family with a gun uh, and says, I'm going to kill you all that you just look at him and say, well, go ahead. We're going to turn the other cheek. Of course not. You know, I I say to Christians uh, who who question this and who say, well, you know, I'm just going to live my life turning the other cheek. And I say to them, well, I pray you do your day to day life. uh, Should be one of, uh, of, of kindness and, and, and not aggression and not seeking revenge. Of course you turn the other cheek on the other hand. Please tell me that you don't mean that at 3 o'clock in the morning somebody breaks into your home and comes in with chainsaws and machetes and they're walking down the hall to your children's bedrooms that you're going to greet them with a cup of coffee and some cookies and say, look, we turn the other cheek in our home, go ahead and have your way with my children. Of course not. Hopefully, you will rid your home of the vermin that just uh, encroached upon the sanctity of your home and family. You have a biblical responsibility. In fact, the Bible says the man that won't provide for his own family is worse than an unbeliever. And I tell your listener, Sean, a huge part of providing for your family is to provide and to ensure them of their safety as much as it is up to you to do so. Does that make sense?
2: Makes total sense. I preach it all the time. Let me ask you one more question because I know we don't have you for an unlimited period of time. Um, I I get asked all the time about the government. They say, look, we're subject to the government. We are... We have to do what they say to do, because God says that we're to pray for them and we're to be subject to them, and, you know, of course, context, context, and context. You know, it's funny that you say that, because I I say a very similar thing whenever I preach. I say, look, you know, there's a reason I read so many verses around the verse I'm talking about, because you need to know the context. Anybody can take anything someone has written and make it mean whatever they want it to mean, but it's what it actually means that matters, not what it feels like. So the government, the government's laws, you know, we're looking at uh, don't ask, don't tell is repealed, Uh, not even repealed. It was it was initially uh, Hussein Obama said, look, in the military, I'm not going to I'm not going to support this. I'm not going to I've instructed my he violated law, (coughs) excuse me, by saying he's not going to he's not going to uh, enforce the law. And so many other areas, and so many other things, and then doing things by executive order. Uh, look, if if Congress is not going to act on this or that thing that he wants to do, I'm just going to do it by executive order. And yeah. you know, when yeah. when the government's, you know, we are to, to obey the government's laws when they don't encroach upon our profession of faith in Christ. What yeah. do you suggest the Christian, the follower of the way, uh, do? How, how does that? How does that look? When when yeah. when the government look right now, you know this. Right now, I love this. One of our uh, great people in chat says, "Shoot with love, love for your family when your hand is forced." Uh, that's yeah. that's powerful. I like that. I'm gonna steal that. Um, yeah. The 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 whole thing uh, that's going on with the government now is we have been so quiet. We have been so compliant. I use a term in my speeches called collectively slumbering. We 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 have collectively slept. And while we all have slept, we've been lulled into this sort of kindergarten faith that we fold our hands and we say, "No, we're not going to fight anybody. We're just going to pray for those in power and we're going to pray that God changes their hearts and they're going to make these oppressive laws." But you know what? The Jews were oppressed by the Romans too and you know what? We're just gonna we're just gonna be quiet and we we're gonna be loving and friendly. How how do what do you suggest when when laws come out? Uh, the, the the whole abortion thing just drives me. Uh, I just I can't stand it. When I saw a T-shirt the other day, um, and it was an older T-shirt, unless the woman just has multiple abortions, but it said, um, "Yay me! I just had an abortion," and I remember that was a big thing. Um, I can't remember who the big big uh well known person, uh a feminist was that came out and had that shirt on and she was bragging about how she had an abortion. I think to myself, My gosh, you, you just killed a little one. Uh I, I don't know how that doesn't bother you. But you don't you don't want me to be able to protect my family from a bad guy that comes in and, and wants to take everything that I have, including my children and, and my family. I, I don't understand how they can do that. But the government is helping them do that. What do you suggest, Pastor Galves, what do you suggest when Christians are being forced to obey or forced to be under submission of clearly anti-faith, anti-scriptural, anti-biblical laws, but things that clearly violate our Constitution? What, how would the, How does that look for you?
0: Yeah, thank you. It's an excellent question. I get it all the time. I preach and teach on it all the time, as do you, and thank you for for throwing that softball to me. Uh, I appreciate it. I mean, for for you and me, it really is a softball question, but I know a lot of people out there really struggle with this, and I'm not speaking down to them because they struggle, and, and I don't. I don't mean it like that. I'm just saying that, look, here he, again, context and balance. Here's the deal. Let let me Let me explain, uh, audience, thank you for for listening, and thank you, uh, Sean, for allowing me to speak to your audience. Let me explain. Uh, The the biblical context As Sean and I have been speaking And then I'll give you a biblical example And then I'll give you an everyday uh, A a real life example Application of what's right now And and how I'm dealing with it Okay, So let's go to the biblical context I think of Romans 13 for example uh, And there are other passages that mirror this truth And basically I'm just going to paraphrase I don't have the scriptures open in front of me But the scriptures basically in Romans 13 Say that look we're to honor the government We're to honor the officials We're to pray for them uh, because after all, you know, God has instituted government, and they are—they are there. Uh, their, their main job before God is to keep some kind of uh, semblance of order in civilization, and, and so we are to honor them and obey them. Okay. Well, the context is absolutely correct. I agree with it wholeheartedly. I was a lawman for ten years. What was I doing? Enforcing law, encouraging people to uphold the law, holding people accountable to the law. Why? Because a lawless society is a is a society of tyranny it's a society of absolute outrage and lawlessness so even a bad government literally and i want your audience to hear everything i'm saying don't turn the radio off yet <laughs> but even a bad government is better than no government at all in most cases because if there's nothing to constrain Uh, evil of any sort, then evil of all sorts will run completely rampant. So, in a general sense, in a basic day-to-day living, I am a law-abiding citizen. I obey the speed limits, best of my ability. I obey the laws of the land. I'm thankful for government. I'm thankful for military. I'm thankful for law enforcement. I can't imagine living uh, among millions of people uh, without any law or law enforcement whatsoever. Now, however, even the writers of the scriptures who wrote these principles and who understood these principles from God, even they were put in positions of having to say, look, we must obey God rather than man. I think of John and Peter and the Sanhedrin Council, and they represented the Jewish law, but also the Roman law. And they were told, don't speak this name of Jesus anymore, or we'll put you in prison. And I'm paraphrasing again, but John and, and, and Peter said, look, put us in jail, beat us, do whatever you have to. We're we're not trying to be disobedient and lawless, but we're not going to obey the law that you're invoking upon us that we can't even mention the name of Jesus. We refuse to do that. We'll be law-abiding citizens in every other way. Uh, the Apostle Paul, who actually penned the words in Romans 13, was constantly before judges and governors and and, and religious uh, Jewish officials, and he was constantly saying things like, like that. Like, listen, I cannot deny my faith. I will not uphold this law that's going... To to keep me from preaching the Gospel and from declaring that Jesus is the Christ, so those there's the biblical context. there are biblical examples to put it in balance now, let me give you the practical application. Just this year in June, the Supreme Court declared to the world or to the to the to America and to the world and and, and they didn't use these words, but they basically said, you know we don't even know what a marriage is anymore uh just whoever you love. You can, you can get married. All, you know, uh, Our opinion is that uh, gay marriage is just fine. Okay, fine. That's your opinion. Uh, but now you're, if you look at me as a Christian and as a pastor and tell me I have to obey that and like it and celebrate it and uphold it, my answer to you is no, I will not. People say, well, but you might go to jail. Well, then I'll have to go to jail. Uh, you might have people that hate you. Well, I'll have to have people hate me. Now I'm I am a law abiding citizen in every other way, but when you ask me to violate the foundation of the Word of God, marriage, home, family, womanhood, manhood, childhood, uh, and spit in God's face, I will not do that, Sean. I will not. And so, as a pastor and as a radio host and as a media personality, I'm all over TV and radio. I'm all over the print media. But I refuse to acknowledge or give any credence to the Supreme Court's decision. And as a matter of fact, I've spoken to this many times, the decision was illegal, it was unconstitutional, and there is no standing law in America that, it, that demands all 50 states must perform gay marriages. There is no federal law that does such a thing. And for people who think it d- does, they're wrong. And so there's an example of my own practical application. I speak against that law. I refuse to obey it. I refuse to acknowledge it because it spits on the Word of God. Does all of that make sense, Sean?
2: It does. How would you witness to someone who you know is a a homosexual and they, you know, maybe you're somewhere speaking and they're protesting and uh, they say, you know, you're a hater, you're you know, that's not your God and all this stuff, and you have an opportunity to be one-on-one with this person in a quiet room, just you and this person, what would you say to them?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, let me just say for your audience so they'll know, um, I have uh, uh, people who are professing homosexuals in my own family group, Uh, my wife does, uh, I have, I mean, I've been 29 years in one community. I've gone through several generations of people. When I went there, I was holding babies in my arms that are now 30 years old. Uh, and, and now, I, you know, 10-year-old kids that are now 40 years old with teenagers. And so, all, you know, all of their families deal with it one way or the other. There are homosexuals in our community that I know very personally and have ministered to them and their families. I've done funerals for uh, homosexual uh, people who have died of AIDS. Um, um, I, we've had uh, homosexuals That have come into our worship services That I know them I know that they're seeking God They're hurting in their life They are loved They are welcomed into our service To hear the truth To hear the word of God But they know where I stand We do not embrace it We do not celebrate it We do not hold it up as normal uh, We, we and, and we minister the truth to people So, So there's the balance But now if I, have, if I have the opportunity, and I do often have the opportunity to sit down when someone knows that my heart is not that of hate. Anybody that calls me a hater, they're just uh, they're they're just uh, uh, launching an ad hominem attack. They don't know me. I'm I'm the opposite of that. There's nothing in my life that indicates that I'm a hater of homosexuals. Do I hate the lie of homosexuality? Yes, I do. But I do not hate the homosexual. My life is dedicated to ministering to people in all kinds of sin and degradation. Now, if I have the opportunity, Sean, to sit down with uh, a person who says, "Look, I don't see anything wrong with homosexuality," and it could be an active homosexual, or it could just be that Christian in my church that's sitting on the pew who maybe is new to you know to our church because if you've been there a while, you know where we stand. And, and but but they might say, "Look, I just don't see anything wrong with it, Pastor Carl. Uh, you know, what can you tell me?" The first thing I would do, Sean is I would say, listen, do you believe the Bible is the word of God? From from Genesis to Revelation, do you think this is the authoritative word of God? Now, I know somebody might say, well, no, I don't. And then, then I would approach from a whole different angle. But let's just say that you're dealing with, with look, a, a recent poll was just taken among thousands of evangelical Christians, Sean. 33% of evangelical Christians claim that they see nothing wrong with gay marriage. 33%. So, and I and I attribute that a lot to weak preaching and weak uh, pastors. But anyway, so let's say I'm sitting down with one of those. I said, do you believe the Bible is the word of God? And they would say, well, of course I do. And I'd say, okay, then. And then I would hand them Romans chapter 1 and say, read this out loud, starting at verse 18. Read the entire chapter of Romans, starting at verse 18. Read it out loud to me and tell me what you think that says. I mean you give me your interpretation. And I've done this several times and it freaks them out because God's word says that homosexuality is an abomination. And he says that and, and God's word says that it is the reason that depravity of mind and a degradation of mind and culture comes to the world when societies wrap their arms around and embrace when churches, when God's people embrace this degradation. of of God's Word and God's plan for life. So that's how I start. I just go straight to the Word, and I hand it to them, and I say, please read this to me. Read it out loud. Let's talk about it. What does God's Word say? I mean, here it is. Here's the context. You tell me what you think it means. And it's so clear, it's so plain, that anybody who claims to believe the Bible is God's Word, they're going to have a hard time getting over that hurdle. And, of course, there's so many other passages we could go to. But that's, that's the way I usually
2: begin, Sean. Well, I like it. I like it. You know, it's it's uh, an interesting thing. Uh, a lot of times, and I get engaged in, in in these different conversations, different places. And sometimes when I go speak places, there's protesters, and uh, and I'm okay with that. Actually, I, I don't have a problem with it. I engage them if they're if they're civil. I'm not going to get in a yelling match with them. I didn't come there to get in a yelling match with people, and uh, I, I won't I won't stoop to that level. Uh, I won't stand there and let them scream and yell at me and get in my face. You know, we we won't allow that to happen. But at the same time, I do like to engage with people. And I like to say, hey, let's just let's establish what our context of truth is here so that we're we know we're we're singing off the same page. And what I hear a lot uh, more than anything, and I talk about this in our in, in my book, uh, Excellence Kill the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. I talk about this, that, look, we've sold out. We've we've in order to get more people in the door churches across america have sold out they've said you know what instead of being sold out and radical for christ we're going to be sold out to put butts in the seat instead of instead of being sold out and radical for jesus christ and the truth we're going to we're going to do all we can to get as many people to like us and you know what if they like us eventually we come into community, we come into relationship day to day, eventually we'll drip on them and they'll go, you know what, I want to be like you. I want to be just like you. Um, I have a pastor who tells me, uh, he said, you know, I don't tell anybody I'm a pastor. I, I That's a secret. Uh, we we just, uh, you know, we just off put people when we tell them we're a pastor. So I don't tell them that. I just tell them I'm in public relations. And, and then we get to talking about stuff and Little by little, if I see an opportunity that won't offend them, I, I'll i say, you know, have you ever, you know, I, I've i just started reading the Bible. Have you ever read the Bible? It's kind of an interesting book, I think. And he says, yeah. I'll just go yeah. to it that way. Sort of like a stealth deal. And uh, almost like he's ashamed. And I'm, He's not the only one. There's lots of them. There's lots of them out there. Pastors who, uh, they tell me, look, I, I just don't tell people in the community that I'm, if they don't go to my church, they don't hear that I'm a pastor and yeah. And I think part of it is wimpy pastors in the pulpit, pastors who are afraid of offending a certain segment uh sitting in uh sitting in row number three where they've sat all those number of years, and they're a good giver and they and uh they've really contributed to the church and those new comfortable pews we have well, you know they're to thank for that, but you know there's something going on in their life that if you preach about it. Well, they just might they just might get upset with you and they might withhold yeah. in the future. Or they might just leave. Or well, they might yeah. just lead a lead a lead a uh, a contingent of folks in the church against you and then there you're going. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well Sean, listen, if if you don't mind I'd love to address that because that's a that is an important part of my book and I don't know if you've gotten that far or not, but so I, I want your audience to know that I can speak uh, accurately to this with reference-resourced uh, information. Now, you know, you'll know you have to get the book to get all the references and resources, but I know your folks will trust me that I'm telling the truth here. And by the way, Sean, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I'm going to have to go uh, in, a, in a moment. I've got another interview in 15 minutes. I can't believe how quickly the time has gone by. <laughs> I just I just looked at the clock. We've been talking for over an hour. Oh, my gosh. But uh, let me just let me answer this question, and then, then I'm going to have to slip away. But the Bottom line is, you're absolutely right, you're dead on, and I want your audience to know that when you say what you talk when you say what you just said about wimpy pastors and the truth not being preached, you're not just chewing on sour grapes and and you're not proclaiming that you know that you're you know that that you're one of the few like you know like Elijah oh lord I'm the only one you know and god said look i got 7000 others just like you here's here's the statistical facts in america in my book i have this referenced in resource george barna who is famous for the Barna polls, his research among Christians and religion in America. He's been doing it for decades. He is quoted as the authority of, of, of accuracy and polling among uh, religion and faith groups and especially Christians. Um, just a couple of years ago, he completed a survey of what he says, quote, Thousands of conservative evangelical pastors across America. It took him a couple of years, anonymous surveys. And he asked them, he showed them various. Truths, biblical truths, like like the sanctity of life, like the definition of marriage, like the definition of human sexuality and what God's Word says about it, uh, like Israel and the Middle East and prophecy and how all of that ties together. And he just went down the list of these eight or nine just powerfully fundamental, I would call them, doctrinal biblical truths. And he asked these pastors, thousands of them. Now, these are conservative pastors, Sean. He didn't just go into the liberal churches. Of course, we know what the liberals believe. But he asked them, he said, first of all, do you believe that the Bible specifically addresses these issues? Ninety-five percent of those pastors said, absolutely, the Bible does address those issues very clearly. Then he asked the million-dollar question. He says, do you preach and teach these fundamentals to your people over 90% of them Sean said we never address these issues from the pulpit and when he asked them the reason why the vast majority of them said because if we address these issues we will have people get mad and leave and they will take their money and we can't pay for our buildings and we can't pay for the salaries of the big staffs we have now That is what conservative evangelical pastors, over 90% of them, told George Barna in a several-year survey of thousands of pastors in anonymous polling. And so it goes to exactly what you said and what you and I have been talking about, and that is a lot of what's going on in America began in the pulpits. Preachers are building a kingdom, but not the kingdom.
2: They're building
0: their own kingdoms, but not the kingdom of God, and they're afraid to speak the truth.
2: Amen. Amen. I know you've got to go. That's folks. When you get the book, "Be Thou Prepared," equipping the church for persecution in times of trouble. That's page eighty-four and eighty-five. The the Barna interview and the study that uh, that that Pastor Gallup's is talking about is on that. You've got to get this book, folks. Pastor. Carl Gallops, uh, folks, what a what a privilege it's been to have you, and I know the folks listening out there, uh, they really appreciate it too. I can't wait to have you on again. I know you've got to jump on this other interview. Thank you so much for coming on with us, and uh, we'll follow up with you and hopefully have the chance to chat with you again. And uh, it's been fun. I knew it would be, and, and uh, when I'm next down in Florida, I'll have to look you up and we'll to get together.
0: Thank you, Brother Sean. Thank you so much. Ditto to everything you just said. Back at you. God bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and your wonderful audience. And I hope to be back
2: on again with you sometime soon. Amen. Amen. Take good care, sir. Thank you, Brother. You too. Well, there you have it, folks. There you have it. I told you it'd be fun. Um, So many people have said, you know you remind me of? You remind me of Pastor Carl Gallup's. And finally, we get a chance to uh, to chat with him. I, I want to, uh, and we'll darn sure have him on again. I, I want to share with you what he was talking about. In late 2014, George Barna, this is from, from Pastor Gallup's book, Be Thou Prepared, Equipping the Church for Persecution and Times of Trouble. In late July 2014, George Barna of the Barna Group revealed amazing information he had been compiling over the previous two years of research. His investigation involved the lack of preparedness and involvement on the part of America's conservative pastors in engaging the American culture concerning controversial biblical matters. Did you all get that? Controversial political or biblical matters, like the ones just outlined that we talked about. Um, and there's a lot of other things, um, just a whole bunch of things. Uh, but Barna said, back to back to this uh, quote here, Barna said in a radio interview with American Family Radio, what we're finding is that when we ask them about all the key issues of the day, 90, 90% of them, 90% of them, and this is a huge survey, folks. I've read the survey. Um, you know, I'm working on three other books right now, and uh, th- well, three, three, three e-books plus one actual hardcover book. But uh, the research for them it involves this Barna survey, um, and so I'm very familiar with this. And it's it's just a key survey. Ninety percent of these conservative, self-identifying as conservative pastors say, yes, the Bible speaks to every one of these issues. Then we ask them, well, are you teaching your people what the Bible says about those issues? And the numbers drop to less than 10% of pastors who say they will speak to it. Are you listening? Barna went on to say, so the thing that struck me has been that when we talk about the separation of church and state, it's that churches have separated themselves from the activities of the state, and that's to the detriment of the state and And its people, according to the same report, when asked why they did not engage the culture to which they had been called to minister and why they did not preach the important yet controversial truths of the Bible to their people, the pastors cited, among other things, fear of losing members, fear of losing financial support, the extremely controversial nature of political subjects, and a lack of familiarity with the details of the issues, probably the most telling words of the barn interview had to do with the lack of preparedness on the part of America's so-called conservative pastors. When you look at what they what they get in Bible school or in the seminary, they are not taught to get people engaged in these particular issues. They're taught just to exegete scriptures. They're taught something about the history of where those scriptures came from, but they are not prepared. Think of it. If the preachers and pastors and prophets of our day are not prepared to confront society as it continues to turn from God, who will do it? Will the public school system do it? Folks, you know from reading my book, thousands of you out there have read my book. You know that I tell you in that book and pastor in this excellent book tells you, no, they won't do it. The public school system won't do it. How about Congress? Will Congress lead the way? No, it won't. Will the Supreme Court raise the banner? Depends on what banner you're talking about. If it's a pink banner, multicolored banner, rainbow-colored banner, yes, yes, they'll raise that banner. But they're not going to raise the banner for truth. Will the entertainment industry do it? you really think the entertainment industry? The entertainment industry is so far gone. You just can't imagine. Yet so many people believe them because they're a star on some movie or on some television show or they're some band person. How about our local politicians, folks? Will they light the path? Folks, you hear me talk about uh, all the time the Center for Self-Governance. You hear me talk about it all the time. The reason why that's so important is because what that does is that trains you to train your local politicians, to guide them, to manipulate them, to, in essence, make them willingly do what is right. In the area of self-governance, who will make the make sure the next generation knows that real marriage between one man, and one woman, that the human race didn't evolve from an accidental, accidental, accidental chemical soup, and that babies in mothers' wombs are real people, and that they are the literal future of our nation and of the church? How will p- future generations of parents know what God's word says so they can tell their children? In the event that preachers fail to tell them, because preachers, folks, I'm here to tell you, preach, I sit in churches all the time, and I and I I'm amazed. It's so hard for me. I tell people all the time, I don't go to pastor's conferences unless I am the keynote speaker. I don't do it. There's no point in it. No point in it. Our guest was Pastor Carl Gallops. Be thou prepared, equipping the church for persecution in times of trouble. I'm telling you, a powerful, powerful book. You can get this book uh, on Amazon.com, you can get uh, you can get it basically anywhere, anywhere that sells books, if they sell my book. A great idea, I'm just helping you with your Christmas shopping, because it's right around the corner. Buy my book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, and buy Be Thou Prepared by Carl Gallups. And I'm telling you, give it to your pastors, give it to your your church leaders, give it to your Sunday school teacher, give it to your deacons. My goodness, give it to your friends and your family, and take one for yourself. You see, this is the real deal. This is this is the real deal. This is the truth of the life that we that we're living now. Do you understand that? Do we understand that? Hey, let's let's finish up this list if I can. I'm gonna see if I can see can I do it. See can I do it? But uh, let me say this. Uh, the pastor talked about when we were talking about um, the carrying of a gun, and he he's always armed in the pulpit. I'm always armed in the pulpit. I usually have at least one weapon on me and lots of, uh, and you never know it. You'll never, ever know it. I don't flaunt it. I don't do any of that stuff. I don't say, hey, y'all, you better listen or I'm going to pop off a few rounds. I don't do that. I don't make it a joking matter. It's it's a serious thing. But we talked about what God said and, and, and he, he talked about his disciples, told them to sell your cloak. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy a sword. Biblical context. Look, Yeshua was warning his people of potentially dangerous times ahead for them and their families. That's why he told his Talmudim, his disciples, to, to get a sword. It's the ancient equivalent of a firearm, personal protection weapon. And defend your families. You see, Hollywood has has been portraying for too long, Christians, to be wimpy, milk-toast crybabies. Men cry at the drop of a hat. My goodness. Toughen up. Now, I'm not going to lie. I watched the Dolly Parton story the other day on television, the other night on television, and I cried. I I know the Dolly Parton story. I've read her books. I know what she does. I know she spends a million dollars a year of her own money making sure all the children who will take it We'll have at least four books a year, and we'll have a teacher to teach them how to read in Appalachia, the poorest place in the United States of America. I knew the story, and still it made me cry because her story is amazing. I don't like all the plastic surgery, and I don't like all that. That, I think that's too far, but that's her business, her body, I'm whatever. I don't see the need in it. But, uh, you know, you can't argue with this woman's heart and, and how she came to Jesus and how she helped lead her father to Christ, my goodness, changed her family and what she's done. My goodness. What a story. It made me cry. But you know what? I don't run around crying all the time. I don't have a pink bully shirt. I was a skinny kid. Now I'm 250 pounds. I'm almost 6'4 and 250 pounds. I have multiple black belts, one of which is a third degree black belt. I have all kinds of, of direct combat experience, you know, physical one-on-one experience. I've dealt with some of the worst people on the planet and prevailed. But I cry. I cry when someone tells me about their family member that's come to Christ. dear friend of mine went to a funeral the other day, and she told me about, uh, she and her daughter went to this funeral, and she told me about how the fellow that died, 40 years old, 40 years older, maybe just a few years older than that, but in his 40s, died of cancer. And he he didn't know Christ. And on his deathbed, he was asking, somebody tell me the story. And his children led him to Christ. And then he met the Savior just a few days later. Man, that made me cry. I think you're heartless if sometimes you don't cry. But men run around and they cry all the time now. Pastors have have this whiny little... Uh, crybaby voice they put on, and they're afraid to talk about stuff. Listen, let's go back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was charged with the responsibility of rebuilding the walls of the city of Jerusalem after the Persian conquerors had issued a decree allowing God's people to return and begin their work. But let me tell you what, enemies and persecutors, they came heavy against Nehemiah and his people. Folks, uh, in Be Thou Prepared, Pastor Gallops talks about this. And and they were instructed, the workers were half Half were to work, even though they had a sword. Half were to work, and the other half of the workers were to guard them. They were deadly serious. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the walls, all of the people of Judah, who were building the wall, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Folks, come on, come on that's from page one sixteen and one seventeen in Carl Gallups. Be thou prepared, equipping the church for persecution in times of trouble. I'll put a link on my website. link is actually already there. If you go to the ninjapas dot com and you go to the most recent blog post, you'll see an active link there. All you have to do is click on that link. Super, super easy. Super easy. And you can buy the book. Let's go to number three. Uh, uh, improvised weapons are within reach. If you cannot or choose not to carry a firearm, there are always effective weapons within your immediate area, so learn to use them. Now, let me say this, and, and, and it is funny. It's fu- It's a funny meme. Uh, people on Facebook uh, you know, spread this around and it's a picture of a guy and he's kinda got his hands on his head and a girl next to him consoling him. And he's kind of a wussy looking guy, you know, he don't he, he either he, he can't decide am I gonna grow a beard or am I gonna shave? Which am I gonna do? He just can't decide and he's all rumply and sad and you know uh and it says uh something about guns if you don't uh if your man um if your man doesn't know how to use a weapon or is afraid of guns, then you both need to see other men. You know, it's just look, guys. Look, you can tell me that I'm just not called to that. That's not my personality. Look, it's nobody's personality. Well, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sheep protector man. I, I, I believe in protecting the sheep from the wolves. I'm a sheep dog. That's what I do. Nobody likes to see how the sheepdog does what it does, but don't stand in my way. But look, if, if you're somewhere and, and, Lord forbid, you don't have a weapon, you don't have your firearm, look around. As soon as you go into a place, look around and, and make it a habit or make it a game to find a weapon that you could use if things go south. Come on now. Don't be a wussy face. Get it done. This is a simple thing. Number four, know where the exits are. Folks, a lot of people, they said upwards of 11 people died at the Bataclan because they were trampled at the exit. They couldn't get through. And as people are are screaming to get out of there, they trampled them. And they get stomped on. They get killed. Hundreds of people, when when they're piling out of somewhere, if you fall on the ground, you're done. Anything. Anything that could be used as a weapon, and then you've got to know where the weapons, are, where the exits are located. People die because they can't get out. This is the first thing you do. Maybe even before you go somewhere, you do a little recon, you do a little advance work, and you say, "Okay, I'm going to this place. I'm going to this place. I'm going to pull them up on the website." And I'm going to see, I'm going to see how I get out. I'm going to see where the defibrillator machines are. If somebody has a heart attack, you know, all these places now have defibrillators. I'm going to find, look, I'm going to find how to get out of this place. And I'm going to find potential weapons and I'm going to be the safest possible place. You don't just go and go wherever they put you. My buddy, Steve, the thing I teach at my seminars all the time. If you have nothing else, use a fire extinguisher. They have to have fire extinguishers. Hard to shoot, but you can't see. And then when that sucker's empty and they're trying to figure out how to get that stuff out of their eyes, beat them, beat their heads to mush and then get out. Take their gun while you're at it. Act decisively. This is number 5, the immediate action drill. Look, you look, you got to decide. Don't mill around, don't stand on the fence. Don't wait for instruction, don't wait for somebody to tell you what to do. Know what to do. Get out to ponder's to perish. Number 6, be alert to people. And unusual circumstances, folks, pay, pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. You must pay attention. Something doesn't fit. Turn the turn the 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 uh, turn your security condition up. Maintain condition yellow. Always be alert. Number seven, the cops say, if you see something, say something. Everybody has stories of 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 witnesses who said after a crime, I wasn't sure what was going on. I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. Look, if you see somebody that's suspicious, something around is not right, tell somebody. Always remember this, number eight, there's always one more bomb, one more attacker, one more assailant. Especially with ISIS, especially with Islam, it's a shock and all thing. They wait for people to get there uh, to help, and then they set off the other explosion. Here's number nine, understand basic trauma medical care. Know how to stop bleeding. Basic tactical combat casualty care. It's on the internet, it's free. Learn it. How to apply a tourniquet, spinal immobilization, safe patient evacuation. Number 10, folks, this is so important. I teach about this all the time. Trust your intuition. If something doesn't feel right, if it feels dangerous, if something is uneasy uneasy inside you, trust your inner voice. Maybe that's the Lord warning you. Maybe you've picked up some environmental clues that maybe everybody else can't pick up on, but you can't quite put your finger on it, but you know they're real. Number 11, this is free, free of charge, no cost or obligation to you. Look, it's not hyperbole to state we're all. Now, terrorism responders. We're all first responders because the avowed goal of Daesh, ISIS, Islam is to bring death and destruction to Main Street, USA. But you don't have to be a victim. You must plan. You must prepare. Terrorists are ready. Look, next week I'm going to share with you uh, when it is right to fight. Christians, this will be when you know this is your go button. This is your go button. This is the scriptural go-getter done. Next week, you're going to have it. Next Sunday, we're going to be preaching at our Arkehala, and that will be broadcast all over the world. And let me tell you what, you're going to love it. Because this is going to be the nuts and bolts of it from Scripture. When you know when to press the, the go button. When is it right to fight? Christians. You need to listen, folks. I've appreciated having you with with me today. And if if you want to help support, this is all out of my own pocket. If if you want to help support what we do in our ministry, all the different things we do. If you want to learn about what we do, theNinjaPastor.com, drshawngreener.com, you can learn all about that. But if you believe in what we do, and you want to help support it, there's a donate button on theNinjaPastor.com. There's a thing there. Read the uh, and there's a link there for uh, Pastor Gallup's book. And if you're so inclined and, you're, and you happen to be blessed in that way, then feel free to donate. We don't share your information with anybody. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you with me today. This is a special day because this show has been dedicated to Major Samuel Mark Griffith, United States Marine Corps. He was killed in action heroically in Afghanistan on this day in 2011. May God bless this warrior patriot and his sweet family. This man showed the way and is now because of his powerful faith in the living God in the presence of perfection and holiness. As we close out the show today, please join me in praying for and comforting his incredible gold star family. God bless you and keep you. Folks, this has been a good day to be with you. I look forward to seeing you again if the Lord tarries. Until then, be prepared.
1: Join us next time for the collision of faith and politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio and at www.drseangreener.com. In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining in this fight.